0: Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, thank you for being with us. This show is brought to you by Bull Realty for Customized Asset and Occupancy Solutions visit bullrealty.com or reach out to me directly at michael at bullrealty.com. Well, today we're going to cover an important topic for commercial real estate folks, and that is banking and lending. What is going on? Are lenders going to tighten up guidelines? Are they going to be doing loans? Are the banks safe? We've had some bank failures. We've had such a, a fast increase in interest rates without time for to see what really happens well, now we're seeing what happens. It's causing some problems. Where are we? What should we expect moving forward? Uh, how are the banks doing? Let's find out. Please welcome my guest. It's Chris Marinak. He's Director of Research with Janie Montgomery Scott. He also leads the bank research team. Chris, good to see you again.
1: Thank you, Michael. Pleasure to be here.
0: And and, and those of you who, there's a lot of you out there, and thank you that listen to every show for now for, for many, many years. And you may remember Chris was on the show Quite a bit back in the uh, in the recession, the Great Recession they call it, right? I didn't think it was that great, but well, yeah,
1: <laughs> we we all live to tell about it, and it's important to remember that because it's applicable today.
0: It is, it is. So first of all, let us tell us about the banks and and their and their exposure to CRE loans and the possible repercussions there. What should we expect?
1: Sure. So uh, CRE lending at the banks is still the biggest component of their uh, balance sheet. So if you look at a bank balance sheet, first of all, banks are leveraged to typically 12 to 1. That goes back to some of the failures we've had today. So a dollar of capital becomes about $12 of assets and then within that assets are cash, securities, and loans. Loans being the biggest component loans typically are 70 to 80 percent of assets, sometimes more, sometimes less, but generally 70 to 80 is a good number. Within that category, you've got anywhere between 30 to 40 percent. it's in CRE, sometimes 50. The smaller the bank, the more CRE that banks have. Some of that's because that's what banks like to do. They like to lend on dirt. They like to lend on something they can tangibly touch. And some banks are better lenders on real estate than they are on C&I loans, and they're better than doing car loans or other consumer loans. You see a lot of small business community banks who where real estate is their bread and butter, and then they diversify slightly underneath there with residential mortgages, a little bit of consumer, and then some C&I lending. Over the years, they've been able to add more CNI, depending on the type of lenders that they've acquired or and or hired. But typically, real estate is the biggest component of what they do. And then you divide real estate further down into construction, multifamily, owner-occupied, and then the other, which would be the non-owner-occupied. Those are kind of the four buckets from a high-level perspective, and that ties back to the FDIC and Fed disclosures. Yeah. And
0: when you talk about construction loans, uh, where are we there today compared to, say, the Great
1: Recession? Sure. So um, I think in terms of percentage of capital. So banks were lending 100 to 150% of capital back in 2006 and 7, leading up to the 2008 and 9 great financial crisis. And today, those numbers are like 30 to 40% of capital. So call it easily a third, it, but it, anywhere from a third to a quarter of the concentration that you had before. So the commitment to construction is significantly less than it was 15 years ago. So it's a real important point.
0: And how strong are these banks? Uh, You know, the the community banks that that we deal with day to day, tell us they're doing great. Uh, They're still doing, a lot of them are still doing
1: loans for us, what what do you see? Sure. So strength comes in a couple different flavors. So strength from an earnings perspective, absolutely true, and became a lot better the second half of last year as interest rates went up and banks were starting to make more loan yield and more a little more spread. They're strong from capital, although capital has been a debate because of the securities and the mark-to-market, market, which I'll get back to. And then I think strong from liquidity. However, liquidity has been tested in the month of March. The issues we saw the last couple of weeks with Silicon Valley and Signature bank failing was a liquidity run, but really on two banks that were not properly set up. Signature had a fair amount of crypto, got caught involved in fraud with the cryptocurrency. Silicon Valley had a lot of concentrated deposits in the venture cap community, a lot of large uninsured depositors. They all ran very quickly on March the 9th, and within hours, the bank failed. And it was unprecedented, but it does happen when you have a leveraged business that has a lot of depositors who all flee at once. The banks aren't designed to give a bunch of deposits back within six hours.
0: If the Fed's, one of the Fed's mentioned missions, as I understand it, is the soundness of the banks. So, you know, as they're watching the banks very, very closely, they had to see Silicon Bank with those, where they have 1.6% uh, treasury investments. Uh, and, and and know that their rapid increase was gonna cause problems, uh, uh, why would they raise rates so fast when there con- should be concern about the soundness of the bank? So the
1: Fed, I think, was realizing what was out there but thought that there was liquidity around, around it. So just to put some numbers in, the 1.6% that you cited is the yield on Silicon Valley's portfolio. The concentration of securities is equally important. It was 56% of assets. Most banks are in the 20 to 30% range, as I was mentioning a minute ago, so they're way out of bounds with that. And then they had a lot of securities that were in what is called held to maturity. Held to maturity does not get marked every quarter. So the mark to market does not apply to held to maturity. It does apply to available for sale. And so you had a much smaller available for sale that was getting marked. And then the bigger piece that wasn't getting marked was kind of getting ignored. The Fed, I think, just felt that there was liquidity elsewhere in the system because of high levels of cash, the ability to borrow from the home loan bank system. That's all true, but the fundamental problem was there were too many securities, too big of an unrealized mark on how to maturity, and then you had big depositors who all kind of acted in concert, perhaps not intentionally, but they did act in concert on Uh, thursday march 9th and they all fled they all left the bank and with a couple swipes on their phone and a couple wire transfers the run was on we had a modern-day electronic bank run that uh, none of us have ever seen but now we know what to look for and you know we'll be spending the next several quarters kind of fixing that issue that's a good point things can happen very fast now compared to say 10 years ago right correct thank you to twitter and social media and just general technology we have a digital ledger system in the banking system it's no longer a piece of paper and you know the old days of 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 standing in line to go check out for your bank account are over you just swipe a, your phone you, you you call your bank representative and do a wire and it may not take seconds and it may take an hour or two but you can wire money out in big sums if you want mm-hmm. to
0: now i was surprised this recent uh, rate increase of 25 basis points coming after the uh, the silicon valley bank failure was, did that surprise you or did you expect it?
1: I expected it, but it's unfortunate because the, the better, um, you know, we'll talk about the P word, which was politics. The better P word would have been to pause. Mm-hmm. But the Fed, I think, is still trying to get its credibility back after mm-hmm. being late to the party to raise interest rates and take away the excess liquidity that they created in 2020 and 21. So they're trying to fight inflation and while it's a noble goal and, you know, the Jay Powell is trying to uh you know, release his inner Paul Volcker, which is the Fed chairman of the nineteen seventies and eighties, but unfortunately, um, you know, he's been late. And um, you know, the problem has been created by the Fed aggressively raising rates. It would have been much, much easier to have had a slow methodical increase in twenty one that set up a little bit more aggressive uh raising and tightening in twenty two. Yeah, Fed, please stop raising rates. Let's wait and see what happens here. Um, are the banks still lending? The banks are lending. The question is that what's the new information? You know, as we look at the new data coming out for March 31st, 23, I think you're going to find that loans grew for the quarter, um, probably less at the largest banks, but more at the mid-sized banks. However, I do think loans are still happening. Banks are reporting positive loan pipelines in January, February. I think a lot of those were seeing through. They still have uh, ability to draw down lines of credit. That will continue to happen. I think new credit extended April through the rest of the year. That's probably the the source of uh, of worry right now. My suspicion is it's going to be tougher to get a loan. Not impossible, but tougher. And if you're willing to accept low leverage, you can get a bank loan. And I think banks are going to raise rates, toughen up the standards, and march ahead that seems to be what the read is and we'll hear more from companies and their disclosures in april but i feel that's what we're going to hear i don't think banks want to go backwards but they are going to be incredibly careful about what they do from this juncture and will there be more uh, of the larger banks doing these loans or community banks i think you're going to see the mid-sized banks stepping up i think you will see community banks doing more But again, the large banks are going to have to do their part. The large banks have had the biggest correction of their CRE concentration. They really fled CRE in 2008, 9, and 10, and they've been slower to come back. So if you broke down the statistics and looked a little carefully, you would see that the Bank of America's and Truist and many of those large national and regional banks have much lower concentration of real estate. They've got more capacity. Now, will they take it on? That's a different question. They're scared of office. They're scared of certain types. They kind of are full on multifamily. So the question is, will they do a little bit more to perhaps increase by 5%, a small number? That, I think, is plausible. I don't think it's going to be a significant change, but I do think there is some lending that will be done.
0: Yeah. Well, I've been in this business for 35 years and been through uh, various cycles. And I think to lenders out there that might be listening, I think this is going to be some of the safest loans you've ever done. I mean, you know, you don't have as much competition. You don't have the rate risk at uh, maturity, uh, and also a great opportunity to build relationships
1: uh, with borrowers and and uh, and customers. Right? Yeah. I think if we were shopping at Publix, they want to sell you another box of lettuce. They might just charge you six or seven dollars instead of the four and a half or five that they used to. And I think that's where I think this is going.
0: What about the uh, listeners out there that may be interested in distressed uh, loans? you think we're going to see a good
1: bit of REO and, and loan sales? We're going to see some. Um, we have the Signature Bank assets that will retain. You know, Signature Bank sold about $38 billion out of 100 um, to New York Community, ticker NYCB, that we cover at JANI and have known for years. I think that the rest of those 60 billion retained are somewhat distressed and or will come at discounts. The FDIC is going to have a separate bidder. Um, how much they work with private equity or private industry remains to be seen. I suspect that they'll, they'll have to do some of everything. I think they looked at some uh, um, uh, private equity buyers for the bank and could not get comfortable. That's why uh, New York community bought Signature and First Citizens took on Signature, or, um, Silicon Valley. But I think that you will see assets come to market. Um, how steep of a discount remains? You know, there weren't problem assets per se at those two banks. Those banks were not failed because of credit. They were failed because liquidity and to some extent poor contingency planning on the what if we have a bunch of deposits that leave us quickly. Yeah.
0: What about uh, borrowers who may be uh, in trouble, having a little distress with a property? What do you think is going to happen there? Are we going to be back to to? uh where we were with hotels and other folks, the
1: government kind of helping out, sure, the Fed great, relaxing? Great question. I think in, in 2020, we had um, a, uh, a relaxing of rules, A, from a high level that you could do a um, a, a deferral of your loan, no matter what, uh, based on the COVID and the shutdown and the unprecedented situation at that time. And then if hotels, of course, were the, the biggest example of where the need was. Today, I think you could see relaxation of some of those rules, particularly on TDRs, troubled debt restructuring. Um, That may play out. Um, Whether we get regulatory guidance on these in the next couple of weeks, I'm not sure. I think if we think about the next six months, some guidance on this issue is probably gonna come from the FDIC and the Fed. I don't know if it's gonna be the next couple of weeks, but I do think it's gonna happen. In the meantime, banks have the ability to be flexible with borrowers. And I think a lot of banks have come through the last 15 years are very familiar with A&B notes, the ability to do TDRs, to be flexible on resetting interest rates. I think all of that's going to happen or just getting good old-fashioned collateral and getting more cash and property to backstop the loan. I think all of those are solutions uh, yeah. that are out there. Yeah, one thing that we're finding in the
0: in the industry as uh, brokers is um, a lot of these banks and and uh, are just not really set up like they were. You know, they don't have the folks to handle these troubled loans in
1: REO. I guess we're going to have to start hiring. If you're a consultant in the real estate industry and have done this before in a Mm -hmm. past life, perhaps you worked for SAMDA or FTSC, RTC, uh, you have a great calling card and resume and you are needed. So it's like a draft coming back off the sidelines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And we've done a lot of work uh, in the distressed world, a lot of workout business. In fact, my first show in October of 2010 was on loan workouts, and I remember after doing that show, and wow, this is extremely valuable information to people all over the country, so
1: we may be back there. I'm sure we will, just not necessarily at the same level, because problems in the banking industry are very low today. I do think they'll go higher as we go through this economic cycle, but but we'll see some. I mean, there's definitely a need for consultants and attorneys and experts in this business, receivers, folks who have who understand the work through the network.
0: How should we look at today compared to the, the Great Recession as far as loan-to-value ratios and just what the market?
1: So it's vastly different. Um, when we were looking at real estate in 2005 and six, leading into 07, 08, 09, you had real estate that generally was done at 95 cents on the dollar on a bad day. But on most good days, it was 105, 110. You could even go higher LTV. It was anything goes on the good side. It was a, It was a borrower's dream. That all blew up as we all lived through and, and came to uh, to realize that, that too much leverage was just too like having too many cookies or too many jelly beans on Easter. <laughs> you had to work backwards to a lower leverage. And so construction became real low, sometimes 50, 60% LTVs. Most kind of mortgage related properties in the commercial space were in the 65 to 70-ish range. And I would argue that the last couple of years, particularly with COVID and loans set in the last few years have been done much more like 65 to 68. And then depending on the property type, you can find many examples that were that were sub-60. It just depends on exactly what it is. But as a general rule, you have a six handle on many LTVs, and that's a massive difference between having leverage at, say, 68% versus being at 88%, which really was the norm in, in 2006 and seven. And what else is different between today and, and that time? So I think we've got a better understanding of liquidity. As much as liquidity seems like it was a problem at a Silicon Valley and a signature, the rest of the system is really is really good. You know the home loan banks are open for business. Um, the borrowings are still below pre-pandemic level. That's something we've done every week at Janney using Fed and FDIC statistics. The b- amount of borrowing, uh, while it has changed a lot in the, the month of March 2023, it's still below the pandemic uh, you know trigger back at the uh, January of, of 2020 so that part is really healthy there's a lot of ability for banks to get liquidity i think the cash levels are higher at the banks and probably going to go back up at the system so that's good to backstop lending but i think back to the technical question about real estate i think in general you just have more collateral and more cash in deals you've got some mezzanine players who are who are taking the additional risk the banks are kind of in as a primary at a low ltv so that doesn't mean there's a lot, there isn't a loss, because I think there are losses that'll happen. I just don't think the losses are as ugly as what we saw before. And, you know, I think it's still early in the process, but I think there's a big analogy between hotels of 2020 and office space of 2023. And I think office is now a four letter word for a lot of investors. And I think to some extent it's unfortunate because yes, there are problems at office. Yes, there are uh, losses that are out there, but there also are solutions. You know, Michael's telling me that about the the game room you have here, bigger kitchen, other facilities at his office space, and that may be what what we do. We may have you know a, a, a fewer cubicles and fewer offices, but we may actually have more entertainment space or other use of facilities. So the net amount of space that users have may only come down 15 percent or 20 percent, not down 50. And I think there's a lot of misinformation out there that real estate usage gets cut in half or some dastardly numbers. I don't think that's true. I think it'll change, but not necessarily by as much as we think. Yeah. Well, I agree. I think uh, gradually
0: we'll see more folks uh, using the office as the employees and the employers realize what's going on with cybersecurity and and trade secrets and culture and loyalty and turnover. (laughs) Absolutely. so One of the things that seemed to cause uh, problems uh, back in 2009 and 2010 was mark to market. Um, uh, I had a, a loan actually in one of my office buildings, I own personally, and they came to me at the worst time and said, Hey, you know what? We've marked market. We don't like your loan valuation. and we want you to pay you off at the worst month and quarter that it could have been. And, and I remember asking the lender, I said, well, wait a minute. Let me ask you. I've, I have great credit. I have great income. I've paid you on time forever. Building's in excellent shape. So you're out here creating problems. And they said, yeah, it's coming from from the top. We have to foreclose on you. Uh, And I'm like, all right, so because there's no loans available at the moment at that time. And then I asked him, I said, well, you know who you guys use to sell your foreclosed properties uh, in Atlanta? He said, no. I said, you use me. So you're going to take my building and call me to sell it? This is going to be rough. Are we
1: going to have some mark-to-market issues? So, the answer is yes and no. I mean, we are still stuck on the accounting of mark-to-market. And if you put your theoretical hat on and your FASB hat on, we should mark-to-market. A dollar today may be worth 98 cents by the time that, that we finish today. And maybe Monday, it's worth 97 cents. If you're a house in Galveston Bay in Texas and you have a hurricane coming tomorrow, well, it's not a dollar. It might be 60 cents or 50 cents. And then once the storm passes, we'll be nice and make it 70. Um, but the reality is, that's a theoretical change. You know, there's a balance sheet that has assets and liabilities, so when interest rates go up, maybe the value of your asset goes down, but the value of your liability should go up. They should offset each other to some degree. We don't mark-to-market the entire balance sheet. And that's the fundamental flaw, both at regulatory as well as accounting levels. We force mark-to-market on certain things and not all things. So it's sort of like, what, which are we going to pick? And the banking community is struggling with this too because we were marking to market available for sale securities, but not held to maturity. It's kind of like the NFL. What is the what's the definition of the end zone? Is it ten yards or is it something less? You know, in college football you can have one foot down and be a, a catch, and in the NFL it's two. You just need to know what the rules are. And so I think what's happening is there's a there's a lack of understanding of what exactly are the rules. And the FDIC and the Fed are kind of guilty of not giving us clarity as you had this big change in interest rates and so we are creating workarounds the fed has created a a liquidity backstop where you can put uh securities back at par to the uh, fed and i i say put you really can use them to borrow the fed hasn't purchased securities from banks we may we may get to that that may be another central bank tool that they want to use um but you know the mark to market is still is still an issue but it's not necessarily being used to flush the system because we talked about flushing things in March 2020 didn't do that we created PPP we created the ability to have loan deferrals and something like that is going to happen Um, I personally think you're going to see banks raise capital less than people think but they will raise equity capital these next couple quarters and that will probably start to address the healing that you only have a little bit of extra capital the banks will use as a cushion. The banks are also in a really good earnings position today with much better earnings than they used to, and that's going to sort of stem the tide a little bit of, of this. But it all goes back to mark-to-market, so it's a critical question. Yeah. Well, I'll give a shout-out
0: to BB&T because that office building I was talking about during a Great Recession, they came in and, and gave me a great loan. Now, now truest. <laughs> now truest, that's, that's right. right. Um, should we
1: expect more bank failures? I'm going to say no. Um, technically you could have more banks fail because again, they're levered 12 to one and you could have someone in the system who files up and, and does what signature and particularly Silicon Valley did. Uh, so never say never, but I actually think the fed doesn't want more failures. And I think to some extent, because we don't have credit problems, I don't think we're going to have failures with the fed giving this liquidity backstop, uh, the last few weeks, which I think will continue to evolve. That's a very healthy outcome. I think investors are confused because they haven't seen the March 31st numbers, but they're going to see them soon. And I think they're going to feel comfortable. We talked to a lot of companies who actually did not have deposit outflows, who don't have problems and whose earnings are still stable. And that actually is way different than a lot of the black eyes that we were seeing in the fall of 2008, spring of 2009, when there was blood everywhere. So it's a lot less of a problem today. It's confusing. There's a lot of misinformation, but it's fundamentally different
0: what do you expect for rates moving for you think the fed's going to raise again
1: so best way to answer that question is look at the forward yield curve so if you look at two-year treasuries three five-year treasuries they've all come down so the fed has the fed funds rate today at 4.83 is the effective rate they might raise it just above five to say they did but the market is expecting rates to fall now there's a back and forth and rate volatility has been all over the map and in my career covering banks for 31 years i haven't seen it this volatile in my whole career so 22 and 23 have been back and forth on rate volatility all the time. However, the direction is clear. Rates fall. The question is, when does the Fed capitulate from the sort of game they're playing and decide to cut rates? The market's thinking it's going to be by fall of 23. We'll see. I think the Fed is going to talk tough for at least one more news conference, which gets us into May. And then from there, they're going to have to change. The interesting question, if you take a step back, Michael, is the government in, in the U.S. really can't afford... The fed funds rate to go a whole lot higher it costs a lot of money to service the debt i'm the last person to be a political analyst i'll let that be for others but there's a debt ceiling conversation that's a real conversation later this year i don't know how it's going to end up but the the government can't keep paying high interest rates and as we start to refund 10 and 20 year paper and 30 year paper we're going to have to do that at lower interest rates so I think, the, I think the game is going to be up soon for the Fed tightening, and ultimately that's going to be positive for uh, for investors and for borrowers of all kinds. The banks have to manage through that risk, which I think they're doing now, but ultimately the cost of funds for banks, i.e. deposit rates, are changing quickly this quarter and next quarter, but it's also going to crest and peak and come down in some ways this bank crisis has been positive because it's causing depositors to be more fearful of where their money is and less focused on what their rate on their money is. Now, some folks will dispute that, but the numbers are going to bear that out. We still have a pretty big gap between the 483 Fed funds and banks paying maybe 150 to to 200 basis points on overall deposit costs.
0: Yeah. So overall, what would you leave our audience with to think about, Chris, related to the strength of banks and uh, maybe lending moving forward and, and uh, the economy.
1: So the banks were undercapitalized in 2007 and eight. They were excess leveraged and they had poor reserves. Fast forward 15 years to spring of 2023. They've got solid capital yes capital is questionable from a mark-to-market perspective on these securities but these securities are money good because they're government securities they are going to be repaid at par and this is going to work itself out in my opinion over the next three four years from that securities perspective banks have got excellent liquidity i think there's a lot less uninsured deposits in the system than people realized some of this misinformation will get cleared cleared up and then you transition to earnings and reserves Reserves are excellent because we've grown them. We've had a new accounting standard the last three years called CECL that has caused reserves to rise. And most importantly, banks are profitable. Banks are gonna make a lot of money this year. Even if we have a little bit less spread or a little bit less loan growth, they are profitable. Retained earnings is gonna help solve the issue. And I think as investors realize that, there's gonna be a little bit of calming down. But we are going through a recession and a credit cycle, but it's gonna be a lot more calmer I feel it's more analogous to compare 2023 to 2001 and 2002 and not compare to 2008 and 9. I just don't think this is a crisis of great financial crisis. It's much more a confidence crisis that will come and will stabilize soon. Well, I feel better now.
0: <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thank you for that. And and, I, and I I'll say it again to the lenders out there, I think you're going to do some of the safest loans you've ever done right now uh, and build great relationships. Uh, like the good folks did with me at at Truist. Final remark for
1: the uh, audience? Hang in there. Uh, This too shall pass. Um, You know, again, we've seen rougher times before. So while it has been a challenge uh, with this March 23, April 23 uh, crisis, I I do think this will pass. Um, I think we're fundamentally in a better spot than we have been. All right. Great, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michael. Enjoyed
0: it. All right. Thank you for joining us around the country. Uh, Hey, please let us know what you think. Please connect with us. Please uh, share the show and reach out uh, if you have any questions or we can help you in any way. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.